Tennessee, the Boy. volunteer state. Make sure you go to our website, musicbiz101wp.com. Sign up for that newsletter. You need to sign up for our newsletter. Follow us on the Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook, at musicbiz101wp. And, of course, we have a podcast, which many of you are listening to right now, mm-hmm. and you found it at iTunes or SoundCloud, Music Biz, Ampersand, 101. No, Music Biz 101, <laughs> Ampersand, more. Music Biz 101 and more. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp. Who are you? I am Stephen Marconi. Dr. Esteban. Yes. And so as you listen, you'll hear a student. You're going to hear a great, great person. But this was a summer class because of William Patterson University. So we want to thank Ashley Weltner, who's been our engineer for all of our radio shows over the past year. And she hooked us up with this tremendous technique of recording that we're doing right now. And we should give thanks. So we put our uh, hands together, legs together, eyes closed, heads down. Thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno, Inc., and White Hat Management with artists like Charlie Puff, Dave Matthews, and Kith. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB CPA.com when you are ready. And we should all give thanks to Christine Vey. Oi, a wealth manager and the president of <laughs> Oi Vey Management. <laughs> Oi Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many of our professionals at William Patterson University to manage their investments and plan out for their retirement. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement, or if you have any questions on anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance retirement planning, give Christine a call at, repeat after me, 732. 732. 455. 455. 1510. 1510. You can also email her, Christine at Oi. They wealth. <laughs> Dot com. And take the last oi off for savings. That's right. Many shout-outs <laughs> to many different people, but don't forget Managing Your Band 6th Edition. By the time you hear this, it has been out for a year, but like fine wine, it's aging beautifully. Mm-hmm. It's a book. It's in color. It's got glossy pages. And only a few mistakes. Very few mistakes. <laughs> so you're going to love it. And always contact, uh, contact us. Again, go to musicbiz101wp.com, and that's where you can find everything out. Again, big thanks to the Music Biz Association for having us here. Yes. And now on to La Interview. Ooh. Three, two, one. Yeah! We know Music Biz 101 and more ah. with Benji Rogers. Yes. No Watching. relationship to Mr. Rogers. Roy. No. Well, you are Mr. Rogers. But Mr. Rogers is a big hero of mine. Wow. I have a six-year-old daughter, and um, I struggle with how to talk to my daughter about the news. And Mr. Rogers famously said, when you're talking to kids about tragedy, my mother always said, look for the helpers. Mm-hmm. So always more people helping than harming. Uh. So Mr. Rogers is a great hero of mine. Because wow. I get to talk to my, to my daughter and say, in any ter- horrible situation that you hear about, there's more people trying to help out than not. So uh. Great. Mr. Rogers is the man. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yes. All right. I was a nugget of, of wisdom. Roy, right 
Roy Rogers. Yeah, going back an even further distance. Anyway, I'm your professor, David Kerfilp, and this is your doctor. Yes. Esteban Marconi. If you want, later on, I can go back to a really seriously old-school Rogers. That was a Rogers who was part of uh, Tyndale's movement to translate the first Bible. Really? Oh, really? Yeah, I think he was executed by hung, drawn, and quartering, so there we go. There we wow. Go. And there was Wayne Rogers, who was on MASH. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and Steve Rogers, who was a pitcher for the Montreal Expos. <laughs> there 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 Buck Rogers. Buck yeah. Rogers, yeah, yeah. I got a lot of that when I was growing up. Have you heard of any of these people? Ashley Weltner, who is a... When you said Steve Rogers, I was thinking Captain America. Oh, Captain America as, <laughs> as well. Nice. You know. yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Wow. This movie is really going well so far. <laughs> very, very, very happy with this. It's I believe the term is going nowhere quickly. Yes, <laughs> yes. And, 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 we're, and we're there. And we're Benji there. is related to none of them. No. <laughs> that, is, that is right. Although when I was a little kid, yep. um, there were these movies out starring a dog named Benji. Yep. He yes. a very cute dog. I, and I, he had like two movies. Can I swear? I can't remember. No, no, no F bombs oh, or S bombs. Okay, okay. I got a lot of um, uh, uh, issues yes. when I was younger about the Benji the dog. Okay. I got a lot of fun right. myself. Okay. Yeah. There we go. So maybe right. we're around the same age, so you remember. Chevy Chase was once yep. in a movie yep. that starred Benji, but. And I met Benji. It was pretty epic. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, it was probably hundreds of Benjis, but it was at Universal Studios back in the day, one of those. And yeah, I was like, you're the reason I'm having trouble all these years. <laughs> <laughs> Bad dog. Sit. <laughs> All right, so we have Ashley Weltner here, who is always the producer of our program, but she also is a student. We're here in Nashville with Tennessee State, and she has some questions for you, Benji, as a student about a number of issues, and she's going to, and not her personal issues in which you may not be qualified to talk to her <laughs> about, but some issues about the business that you may be qualified sure. and probably are. So Ashley, take it away, go. All right, so. Good luck. We're all counting on you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh man. All right. Well, first I'd like to start off with what exactly is blockchain and how does it affect the mu music industry and how has it changed in the past year and a half? The what is blockchain question is a big question. And I want to break it down so we're not kind of over oversimplifying and yet not go too deep into it. The way to think about this is um, uh, instead of keeping all your information in one hard drive, you would copy that information into many hard drives mm -hmm. and each one would synchronize uh, to each other. So effectively, if the four of us at this table all had a hard drive with some information being written to it, right? Mm -hmm. um, if mine died, you guys would have an exact replica of it so it would live. Mm -hmm. Picture that times about 22,000 computers tracking every single transaction that runs becomes a network that can never be taken down. So basically a blockchain is literally a series of, of, of entries into a ledger that are sealed every 10 minutes mm -hmm. and then another one's put on top. And you can never delete anything that was in them because everyone has the exact same data. Mm -hmm. So that's what we mean by decentralized. America has a decentralized election process in terms of each state gets to run their own process and the federal government sits kind of atop that. Mm -hmm. So the founding fathers recognized early on that we needed to that the, the federal government couldn't control what any individual state did. They set the rules, but Florida votes like Florida, Tennessee like Tennessee, etc. So, the, and the purpose of that was that no one could overwhelm all the others. Mm -hmm. And so decentralization, you know, similarly with the internet, is a series of supercomputers around the world. What blockchain did was really cool. 
it was um, uh, whoever he, she, or they were, this person or persons called Satoshi Nakamoto, basically proposed a way using this system of replicating data mm-hmm. that I could send money or currency or information through the network to you, and a machine would verify that I had the money mm-hmm. and that I wasn't double spending. Whereas today, we have a bank that does that for us. Mm-hmm. So imagine a series of computers all over the world. Um, you know, It's been going for close to 10 years. It's never fallen over the Bitcoin blockchain this is. And it's transacting a market cap of something like half of you know, 300, 400 you know, billion dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and what's amazing about that is, is this, it all was given away for free, again, by Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever she, he, or they are. And why do you say he, she, or they? Because no, no one knows. No one knows who it is. So um, it could be just. It could be a group of people. It could be, um, uh, you know, it, it's unknown. There are people who have theories on as to who it is, but so what's interesting about that information layer that we mentioned into your question is, um, the music industry kind of relies on everyone having some of the same information, right? But the challenge is they write it into all hundreds, thousands of different databases. So if you work at a publisher and you need to figure out who wrote the song, right, you can look it up on Google and Google will tell you one thing, but that may or may not be correct. So then you may, so let's say it says it's Warner Chapel. How do we know? You have to call Warner Chapel and say, hey, do you own this song? To which someone says, let me check and they check their spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. We own 47.6% and Sony ATV owns the other. Okay, now I've got to call Sony ATV to verify that they do in order to commit commerce. So that slows the process down. Now imagine all of our publishing information and all our information living on a decentralized ledger accessible to all. Not the splits and terms, just the raw data. Um, That would mean that you could contact the correct people all the time. And so what I believe that we're going to use this decentralized system for is we will distribute everyone's information in an equitable, fair way. It gets very complicated, but that's the broad strokes of it. So that... If I'm listening to a song on Spotify or iTunes, whatever it is, I can hit a button and figure out who wrote it, who played bass on it, who played guitar. And if that information changes over time, I can see the changes as they occur. Because remember, the blockchain keeps a complete Mm -hmm. record of all that ever was. So it's not a truth machine. It's basically a this happened machine. And, And it basically, and it just continues to process information. So... That's the that's the what I hope is a fairly short explanation on blockchain. It gets much much longer than that, mm-hmm. but the reality of it is that that we will gain so much by distributing information in the music industry that we lose today. Because if anyone's listening here and they go to get a job at a publisher or a label, they will spend most of their time on Google and in Microsoft yeah. Excel right. fixing their data, but that's not powerful unless everyone can see it. Mm-hmm. You know, and for any songwriters or artists listening out there. If I want to commit commerce with you, you should make that as easy as possible. Not make me jump through 10 hoops to try and figure out <laughs> you know, who owns what. And at fundamental to your question, I believe that, that, that um, we have a protocol that runs the internet, right? So you can build a web browser. We can build our own web browser. Mm-hmm. Anyone can build one, but we use Chrome and Safari and mm-hmm. you know, Internet Explorer, uh, etc. We can build an email program. We can use Gmail, Yahoo. They all speak a common language or protocol. Music doesn't have that yet. Mm. And that's what I think we can build. So, and we need a blockchain to decentralize the information so that no one 
entity owns it, it's owned by everybody. Mm-hmm. That's the that's what we're trying to do. So, uh, how do we get the uh, so turf conscious and turf, um, you know, police? Yeah. To allow this to occur. There's a diplomatic answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I see how you do it. Um, no one does anything that's not in their own interest, right? right? Uh, unless they can help it, right? And and so, traditionally speaking, when the music industry came across the internet, it tried to fight it, right? Mm-hmm. MP3 being the, 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 the strongest manifestation. And there was the famous thing where I think it was one of the major label heads looked at a Rio player, you know, the early MP3 yeah. player, and threw it across the room and said, we sell CDs, that's our business, right? Today, music companies are data companies. And the faster they realize that, the um, you know they, they they extend their lifeline effectively. So you do it by showing a logical, meaningful step that can be taken for very little effort, but you also show them that it's going to happen anyway. Mm. And the cool thing about blockchains is you write something into one, it's forever, it doesn't go away, yeah. you can never remove it. So you build this kind of layers of trust as they occur. So. The, that's the diplomatic answer. The mm-hmm. undiplomatic answer is this. If I'm a songwriter and I tag in a blockchain-based environment using the protocol we're doing, you as my co-writer, mm-hmm. you have three choices. Approve the tag, which means it's true. Dispute the tag, which means it's something else. Mm-hmm. Or ignore the tag, which means it's true. Right. So effectively, mm-hmm. you're playing by not playing. And so what we did was we wanted to introduce that tension to the market because effectively I can't remove any information on Warner, Sony, or Universal. I can't. Mm-hmm. As Dot Blockchain's co-founder, I, can't, I have no power. So if you decide to write some information about Sony into the blockchain, they have three choices. Approve it, which makes it true. Mm-hmm. Dispute it, which means you get to the truth. Or ignore it, which means it's true as far as the network is concerned. So the bet is, the, 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 the gambit, if you will, is that it's that, 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 that these institutions would not want their data being spoken about in their absence. And thus far, Good. we've achieved that. So we're working with multiple stakeholders in the music industry. And again, it's to their advantage. Having better data is not worse than having bad data. There's mm-hmm. always an advantage to it. And that's really what we focused on is a logical business-driven approach to in enhancing a business, not taking it away. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also, I assembled a team um, who knew how the sausage is made. We know how music metadata gets corrupted. We know that. And so we basically walked in from a, from a in the spirit of, this is going to happen. Because if we fail, someone else is going to take a whack. Yeah. This is not right. going to go back in, you know, it's like the internet. It will not go back in the bottle. The genie's out. So now you've got to figure out, do I want to um, ride the wave and surf it, or do I want to get clobbered by the tidal wave? Because mm-hmm. it's 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 coming. It won't go. It won't right. go away. Now, who in the um, I'm sorry, okay. who in the in the in the big three? Who in these corporations? <laughs> number one, are you talking to, and number two, understand it? We're in conversation. So when I first met with all the majors, right? Um, uh, what department? Uh, uh, multiple uh, business business development or metadata. There are huge silos of, of, of information. But I've met with basically most of the key players now. 
And um, when I first met with them, I had to do a blockchain 101, which is this is what blockchain is. Sure. Now they're comparing different versions or flavors of blockchain. There are internal working groups focusing on blockchain. Consultants uh-huh. have been hired. So now there is a drive internally to recognize and understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. So it's at the business development level, it's at the data and operations level, but it's mm-hmm. also at the management, senior management level because they watched something grow from this tiny little thing that Satoshi, again, whoever she mm-hmm. or they were, proposed 10 years ago to becoming an industry that's sort of 10 times the size on any given week in the music industry. Yeah. And they don't want to be left behind. And so the you know, music industry has always had a tension with that, with technology. But effectively speaking, now, you know, again, there, are, there should be multiple companies competing for this. Mm-hmm. We, should, we, should, we should all be, if you're the only game in town, something's very, very wrong. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there, are, that there are tons of people trying to propose different versions of what we're doing is nothing but a bonus. Mm-hmm. When Spotify got, got interested, you know, when uh, Jack just announced a partnership, all these different companies are helping to bring the medicine. The music industry has a, a, an immune system, and it's a very strong immune system. It's built to defend all kinds of viruses. The MP3 was a virus, you know. Mm. CDs were a virus, remember. Right. Cassettes were a virus. Yeah. You know, home taping is killing the music industry. Yeah. All these things, these were viruses. Yeah. But occasionally, it's actually a multivitamin, and that's what we have to convince these incumbents are, is, is look, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna, you can be as tough as you like on the outside, but you can't yell at me when this happens and say we can tell you because it's coming. There's no backward motion on this one. And we're looking at the, the deployment of a new layer of how commerce is going to be committed on the internet. Mm. So it's, it's exciting. You know? yeah. one. So, so how does this relate to Bitcoin? Um, Bitcoin is just one of the ways. So Bitcoin is powered by what's called the Bitcoin blockchain. Mm-hmm. That's a payment mechanism. It's a very s- different thing. Right. Since Bitcoin was, was developed, there are many different types of blockchains. Ethereum is a blockchain. Um, uh, and we're using one called um, a Hyperledger Sortie, really romantic name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are ones like Corda from R3, Ripple, Stellar. There's a ton of different types of blockchain, but all these slightly different things. Mm-hmm. Some are more designed for data and don't have a currency attached. Mm-hmm. Some are designed for... Um, contracts and do have a currency attached mm-hmm. so bitcoin is a flavor of is the original blockchain that basically had currency attached to it whereas let's say in intel the sawtooth lake <laughs> hyperledger sawtooth lake blockchain doesn't have a currency mm-hmm. it operates in a different mechanism mm-hmm. it's, it's like um uh, operating system differences mm-hmm. you know from mac pc that type of thing but mm-hmm. with a lot more complexity <laughs> mm-hmm. So the purpose of the blockchain yep. is so that we always get the metadata right. Correct. And it's also so that with correct metadata, payments can be made so that more people are getting paid on even micro transactions um, internationally. Th- th- there, there's, there's a lot of hype in that, in that space. It's technically not possible today. Mm-hmm. Some would argue that it is. They're believers. And I'm, I'm a skeptical believer is, is how I, I'll put it, right? Um, we don't need micropayments. They're not necessary. No artist is going to say, oh my God, thank goodness I had my 0.735 of a penny just now. I don't know what I've done without it. They need right. 10 bucks or 50 bucks or you know, whatever it is. And so, but what they do need is clarity in how that number was arrived at. 
because I, I frankly don't trust it from my PRO. I don't mm. trust the number mm. because I have no, there's no accounting for how it got there. And what blockchains will enable is the ability to see, well, these are the 746,000 transactions that led to my, my dollar. Mm. And you can audit them backwards to make sure it's correct because at scale, things can go wrong. So the micropayments is kind of a misnomer mm -hmm. because what we need is micro-tracking around payments. Um, there are existing, and also just the sheer volume. I mean, just to give you some numbers, there is one performing rights organization that in 2016 tracked 4.3 trillion lines of information coming from 250 services. Mm -hmm. And it had to look and see if one of its riders was on a micropenny, report back to the service, receive payment, and because of the laws of the EU, had a year to do it. Hmm. So there's no system that was designed mm -hmm. to do that, right? That's a huge amount of heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. And blockchains are naturally slower than other other um, mm -hmm. engines because remember, it's got to get around. Everyone's got to go, got to agree, got to sign. Yep, I agree, I agree, I agree. Mm -hmm. So um, what we focused on was a particular use case, which is that if if any one of us at this table says, I wrote a piece of this song, and they can digitally claim that, and someone wishes to agree or disagree, they should do that in one place. Because the idea to me is, a songwriter or artist should digitally encode their rights and ownership information into the music itself. Not around it, not mm -hmm. sent separately via fax or email or telephone, but like within the media itself. Because mm -hmm. that's how we can be strong. Um, so I think I answered your question there, sorry I wasn't, it was, <laughs> no, no, it's all good. The jet lag kicked in <laughs> again. So, so if I'm an artist manager yep. and I, I manage Ashley, yep. and she's a singer-songwriter, yep. and I'm signed to a label, as the artist manager, where does this come in for me? So that's a great question. In theory, what it enables is, so remember I said that, that, that you know, the internet is a protocol, and you can run websites, and then email is a protocol that means you run an email. We're going to build a protocol for media, which means that as a manager, you would log into a piece of software that you build or we build or someone builds, etc. Same way as an email program. And you would be able to um, assert ownership and communicate about the song from the song. So picture you, you take the song, you say, that's, our, that's the song that Ashley's written, and it opens up a dashboard. And you could say, hey, at Warner's, check, this is you, yep, check, this is me, check, this is the bass player, check, this is the drummer. And that what that would mean is if I'm an outside institution wanting to use that song, I don't have to Google, I don't have to look on spreadsheets, I message the song. The song finds you as the manager and says, I'd like this use case. And it would also message the label and publisher, all of whom can agree, and you can make it happen from the song. So all the emails and faxes and phone calls go away because the common interface is the song. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean about protocol. If you're talking about a song's ownership, why does that happen somewhere else? Why do you have to use Google to figure out who owns the song? It's kind of, it's more than insane. It gives Google the information. Google has more information about the song ownership than the average label or publisher does. Mm -hmm. So we need to take that ownership back so you as the manager would tag, so actually it would go the other way. Ashley would be in the studio and she would export the song as this .bc. Mm -hmm. When she does that, she would tag you as the manager and you would corroborate that, which means that you could then tag the label, the PRO and everybody else. So you entangle all those humans into the song. Therefore, when I message the song and say, hey, I want to license this for $5,000, you as the manager can double check that it's all confirmed, do the deal. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. 
Eventually, payment will be included, but for now, I think existing payment channels will suffice. Once, once you've received the wire transfer and it's split out exactly as it should be, then you can say, yep, here's the song, go for it. But eventually, it will be one seamless system with payments included. Do you think that we get the artists paid more fairly in the industry, or do you think it has more pressure at all? Much more fairly. Because basically what it would mean is, is that at any given time, you would be able to look and see where things have gone wrong. Today, when you get a statement from a performing rights organization, it's you trust them that they've done their job. But as I said before, with the 4.3 trillion lines of information, it's not possible if you don't trust. I don't believe it is. And I'm not saying that, that anyone's doing anything wrong. They're just paying out on a, on a, on a way of doing it. But I think, I think that um, if artists can digitally encode their rights information into their media, then in theory, you as an artist could basically have a, a, a cell phone app. And it pops in and says, hey, you just got your 10,000th play on Spotify. Congrats. Mm -hmm. And Spotify might message you and say, hey, congratulations. Here's 100 bucks of free promotion in the playlist. Or it may be a student filmmaker saying, hey, heard your song on, uh, on Apple. Loved it. Can I do a deal with you? So in theory, your, your, your notification screen would be like money coming in, money coming in, money coming in, and you could just say yes, 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 or manager could do that for you. But the, um, the goal really is that right now, about 14 companies have to get all of their information correct. Mm -hmm. and, they, and they do an amazing job. You know, I'm a CD Baby user, I'm a TuneCore user, I've used DistroKid, I've used all these services, they're amazing in what they do but they are reliant on third-party data getting to you. And I think ultimately, the artist should control that from one place that they own, and that is their body of work. You, the, other, the other way to look at it would be this. If you owned a copyright right now, and I said, prove it to me, how would you do it? You look for a contract yeah. that sits in a piece of paper. Now that contract is so far abstracted from the 700 covers and 14 remixes that have gone on, right? They're, they should all live in the same type of thing. And the analogy I like to use is, e you know, a shipping container, right, is a standard size and dimension. And the reason is it fits every plane, every boat, every train, every truck, every crane. Everywhere it goes, it, it, it's interoperable. And it's also a multi-party asset. You can own all of it, half of it, part of it, and segment it. But it fits everything. Music should be the same way, right? Every song was written by someone. Every song was performed by someone. If the performer is different, but the song is the same, then it, that container grows and grows and grows. That means that when you take that container to Spotify, they know exactly what to do with it. When you take it to Apple, they know exactly what to do with it. And it all becomes the common theme. When we containerize shipping, right, it was a 780% increase in global trade. Because all of a sudden, you weren't figuring out, well, what's in this basket here? What's in this crate here? What's on this pallet here? Ships spent more time in port than they did at sea trying to figure out who owned what. We're there. That's what the music industry is doing right now. It's interns at publishing companies looking in Google to figure out, well, what's in this basket here? What's in this here? But if you containerize and create that common thread with a blockchain synchronizing everybody's information, you will always know. In the same way that a shipping manifest is uniform across the world, doesn't matter what language, on and on, it's the same thing. I know what's in the box. But in this case, the box is of infinite size, growing, and it can be interoperable with any of the modern systems that we have, with the payments, licensing information, or just the sheer bullet point of who owns this. 
weird object floating around inside mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned it could start at an artist level. It could start, I guess, if I'm a songwriter, before it's even recorded, I could start the blockchain. Yeah, the, right? the, goal, the goal for a songwriter would be you want to put a version of it down. The, the, the fastest way to get it in is, is the second it goes from analog to digital. Because when, 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 it, when it goes, so we are right now recording something into this right. and into this, this computer. And so it's going through the microphone, and you will export this as a WAV file or an MP3 or an, a FLAC or whatever it is. That format, the WAV file, is 27 years old. Mm-hmm. George Bush the first was president mm-hmm. when that was introduced. Mm-hmm. The MP3, a couple years later, when Clinton came in, right? So these are ancient artifacts that we're dealing in. So we're taking this modern, you know, uh, SM58 mic, good mic. You know, I've used those many times. Recording into a computer, so the second it goes digital is when you do it. So as a songwriter, it may be a lyric sheet, it may be a, a scratch demo, but when you would create it, you would create it, instead of as an MP3 or a wave, you create it as a .bc. Mm-hmm. That .bc would contain any version that you make, and it begins the custody trail. Mm-hmm. So then when you co-write with someone else, they may add a little bit, and you can alter it, but remember the surface you're writing on is now the song. So if it spits out a wave file, an MP3, or any of those different kinds, you will always be able to see the correct ownership. But if I write a song with you, for example, mm. and I start the blockchain and I don't say you wrote it, how you may never even see the blockchain come come your way. How would you ever find out that so I did that and cut you out? It depends on where you put it. Mm-hmm. So an example would be if you put it on Spotify, what would happen? Let's look at what would happen today. Mm-hmm. Today, you and I could go write a song and I could rename it. Um, I, I could actually take our recording of it, mm-hmm. right? I could go Command I, whatever it is, Windows I on, on computer, alter all the metadata, mm-hmm. and I could upload it to TuneCore or CD Baby, right. and you'd never know, right? Mm-hmm. Because the format itself, in a blockchain-backed world, let's say that, the, that we're entangled, right. and I go Apple and I try to alter the metadata, it says, do you wish to propose this change to the participants of the song? So the manager is suddenly going to say, uh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the artist will say, uh, no. And then all of a sudden the song gets rejected. Mm-hmm. So those changes. So Spotify won't want that mm-hmm. because it has to reach a threshold of, of information like ownership. ownership. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and it's interesting because the way that songs are created today is very social, right? It's, it's sometimes people in the room, but it's, it's more often than not, it's people collaborating on different workstations and each workstation has protocol, right? Mm-hmm. So if you, if you get into the supply chain that early and the cool part of it is the song can never have over 100% representation on publishing. The system will not, the protocol mm-hmm. will not allow it. Right. Whereas today, if you and I submit the same song to ASCAP and to BMI, we can get to 127% publishing any day mm-hmm. because they don't have <coughs> the ledger, right? right. And, and so Spotify will suddenly see it and it'll come in four different versions because it'll come in from other countries and they're like six versions, six ISRCs, three ISWCs, what is this object, mm-hmm. right? They don't know. So um, uh, uh, what the do, what the blockchain will do is, is when you change the metadata, you are gonna propose an amendment, unless you have the authority of the song to do it yourself. So think of every song as having an admin or admins over the publishing and performance side. And so, you know, the, they are the arbiters of, of, of the truth. And so if Universal is, is the recording side and independent publisher is the publishing side or the songwriter is, they've got their rights kind of stated into the song. And so if it went to litigation or to, to arbitration, 
litigation more likely, a judge could say, okay, well, show me the provenance trail. And it'd be like, well, at this, at 6.27 p.m., this song was bounced out of Pro Tools into the .bc. This person made a claim, this person made a claim, that's the one I disagree with. Judge says, on the evidence, you have until this time to amend the blockchain to the correct record. And, the and it can send a receipt to the judge to say it was done. That's where you can get to. Because remember what we do in music is the same over and over again. There's always a songwriter, always a performer, or performers. You know, So what machines are really good at is taking repetitive actions and making them much, much faster and easier. If something goes wrong in today's world, you have to unpick hundreds of different services, message out through the DDEX feed, oh, you know, there's a change, something's wrong. And what publishers do most of the time is when they buy a catalog, they spend most of the time telling everyone, okay, this is now ours, right? What if, what if that was instantaneous? Mm. So the song doesn't have to be pulled down and pushed back up again. It's just point of here now. And what we've done is we, deli we delivered one of these songs into all 250 streaming services. You can call up from the audio fingerprint a song anytime, anywhere. Are we, are we gonna need all these rights organizations? If they bring value, yes. So, so what will happen is, well, I, I mean, it's a, it's a really fair question. PROs, right, performing rights organizations, right. are really good at figuring out what song was played in the coffee shop. Yeah. Right? In theory. I don't know that they are, but right. I'm okay. told that they are. <laughs> sometimes I get a check, sometimes I don't, but uh, yeah. it's the best I got right now. So if they bring value in that or collective bargaining on behalf of artists, yeah. I think people that bring value will always bring value. But what artists tend to need is more fans. <laughs> um, and, and, and more ways of fans committing commerce with them. So um, I think that blockchain is often called a big disruptor. I don't think it eliminates the need for trusted parties. I mm. think it reduces the cost of trust, right? And it also reduces the cost of mistrust, which is where because these companies don't trust each other, they don't share data. That's not healthy. We need shared data. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I'm saying because their role is going to change mm. if indeed it is already done for them on the entry level. And they're just going to okay and say, okay, Stephen Bengio, 50 50 yep. of it. Yep. And it continues growing in yep. this blockchain. The, and, and, and there's also instances whereby, so let's say, for example, a songwriter is, it loses their uh, credentials or, you know, because blockchains are very difficult on security. Like, this is tough stuff you're dealing with. You know, um, having larger in institutional organizations protect keys and offer, type, you know, there, there's a need for all of the services there mm -hmm. until there isn't. But what I found amazing is, is that, you know, uh, PROs are being forced to do better at their job, which is great. <coughs> um, uh, labels are being forced to do better at their job because ultimately, um, look, you know, sometimes you're the windshield, sometimes you're the bug, right? And mm -hmm. and I think that what they're what they're reckoning with is this technology is not going to go away. It's not going to be put back in the box. Mm -hmm. So um, they need to work with it. And sometimes, you know, the smartest entrepreneurs and the smartest business people are those that. Um, see it coming and try and figure out if this is going to kill me how do i find my bulletproof mm -hmm. <laughs> my, 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 my bulletproof vest mm -hmm. and i think that what we're seeing is all the healthy signs of a new ecosystem emerging around the creation of value for creators um, yeah. l l less a drag on on it 
And, and if you're not talking about the the payment issue for this year, I mean, this is for basically for any record keeping. Yep. This this becomes whether yep. even if you're talking about college students yep. and the registrar and so, so on. Yeah, so interesting. In Greece, they just issued blockchain backs degree certificates. So effectively, if you were applying for a job and you wanted to show that you actually went to the school, yeah. you don't have to call anybody and say it. You can look it up, and only those two can see that that, that, that was correct. Right. Right? So it's, the, the, it's a great enabler. Or if you buy wine, if you buy a wine from the 1950s, the most important thing is provenance. Mm -hmm. Was it stored in a cold place? Because if it was stored in the sun for sure. six months, it's over. Right. So custody becomes everything. And we have no real... Um, uh, production-hardened ways of proving that today. Because, oh, well, this piece of paper that was written in 1956 said so. It's like, yeah, that's pretty good. Right. <laughs> Except it's the wrong handwriting. You know, <laughs> there's all right. kinds of things that go wrong. And I think that we're just modernizing that effectively. And blockchain for media, you know, there's basically no common format for media. And I think that, that there could be, and that's what we propose. Yeah. What I don't understand is how is blockchain... How, how can nobody go in? I mean, we just saw what yeah. happened. Russia, it seems like, or China can do anything. You know, mm. with cyber, they might have a cyber war against blockchain or Bitcoin or any of that stuff. How can they not go in and... So, it was built by cryptographers. Cryptography is, you know, a very old, old, um, old art. And um, the cryptographers built it in such a way that there was no, what they would call, signal point of failure. And what that means is, if... If, uh, if the four of us share a Dropbox account or an email account, if you get, if Ashley gets hacked, it's over, right? right? They can do whatever yeah. they want. Right. Um, Facebook is a centralized network. And so Facebook's job is to police that network. And they failed. Mm -hmm. They were the signal point of failure, right? Because they gave all this data over to, oh, you know, promise us that you delete, <laughs> you know, we promise to delete all of this data. Sure you promise. <laughs> it means nothing to me, right? The blockchain back world, right? You could see deletion records if they occurred. So the reason it's it's not hack proof, it's very hard to hack, and the Bitcoin blockchain has never been hacked, is because there are roughly eleven, I think ten or eleven thousand separate computers running the Bitcoin protocol, running system, which means that all of those ten or eleven thousand computers have an exact replica of every transaction. <coughs> so if you were to if you were to hack one of them all the others remain. So you would have to hack all 10 or 11,000 of them at the exact same time just to change one piece of information. Because if one's hacked, the others re recognize it and say, ah, it's an attack. And so they ignore that block and they start again. So um, it's, just, it's just sheer brute force of doing it. Is it a secret, all these, say, 10,000, 11,000 computers? Well, 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 yeah, because they're all anonymous. So, so it's, it, it just says... XP five four three zero two six blah blah that string of meaningless information that's an address and there's a public and a private key so publicly you can see that's what it is but private you have to hack that private key if that's stored in a wallet even if you hack that one you have to hack all of them so it's it's a very big math problem to solve and thus far it hasn't been done and um, uh, and so so there's you know obviously there's quantum computing coming but then you just apply the same principle to quantum computing. It, it's, it's how this is going to go, because, you know, I was talking, I was down in Nashville last week, 
talking to some banks and um, healthcare people, I have no idea why, <laughs> about this. And what was interesting was I said to them, how many of you use the social security number to verify identity? Mm. And most of them did. And I said, well, it was half. 50% of American social security numbers were given away on the internet because Equifax was the point of failure. Right. So if you're using that, you have no idea, mm -hmm. no idea if the person with that social security number is who they say they are because it's a, it's, it's a single number, single point of failure. So um, what in a blockchain-backed world, if there was a hack that occurred, you'd have to hack everything at the same time. You could compromise a single account, but it wouldn't compromise the network. Um, and there, that's the reason that the internet's robust, right? So, there's, so all the nodes of the internet that run, if you took out one of them, the others still remain. You'd have to attack all of them at the same time to pull the internet down. But that also enables, in the internet's case, China to run its own version. Mm -hmm. Blockchain doesn't, doesn't work that way. Everyone runs the exact same thing. It's a, it's a literal replica. So, you know, and, and anyone listening to this can literally download the entire Bitcoin blockchain onto their computer. It'd be very big and it would take a long time. It would take about a day and a half to do, but you could download every transaction from the first one, which is called the Genesis block, not the band, um, mm -hmm. but, but there should be a band called Genesis block and why not? And then right the way up till the one that happened a few minutes ago. And WikiLeaks founder, Julian Assange, I'm not a fan, but um, in order to prove that he was alive, he read the current um, uh, uh, block number, uh, block header it's called, you know, the, 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 the current address mm. at the top which could only have existed at that time and at that place. So it's a proof of life. Right. And I can see in healthcare, yeah. each of us is our own piece of blockchain. Yeah. So you create a blockchain for Benji Rogers yeah. now, and then every time you go to the doctor, yeah. they add one more piece. And the yeah. only people who have access to it would be Correct. your wife or your Correct. kids so that they can follow in 50 years when you're gone, yeah. maybe you won't be, but yeah. 100 years, your grandchild knows, well. I've done a lot. Great I, um, 100 years would be too long for okay. me. <laughs> <laughs> but great grandpa yeah. Benji yeah. died of this ailment from this genetic yeah. thing that they found. I mean, you know, you know, with healthcare, it, it, it always struck me as odd that my doctor would prescribe me with something. And then, you know, I would, I would go back six months later, you know, what if I didn't? What if, what if I died? I mean, like, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> some, you know, uh, but I think, but again, a medical record is in effect a classic multi-party asset, yeah. right? Right, yeah. Doctor needs to see it. Radiologist needs to see it. Family members may need to see it, you know, on and on. And you got to have permissions about what happens. So, um, but in the healthcare and banking space, they are driving into this. I mean, hundreds of banks are doing blockchain proof of concepts. So, and we've not seen that since the internet, right? Since the rush of the internet. So what's great about you know the music this conference just now is there was a, easily a couple hundred people in the room to hear the blockchain panel. That's a good sign. That's not a you know mm. took four years. We did we did the first panel on blockchain three and a half, three and a half almost four years ago, and there were eight people in the room, mm -hmm. sixteen staff and eight people in the room. Yeah. <laughs> right. This massive auditorium, and it was like you know meanwhile the the other one was like you know um, you know our playlists the future of streaming was was the question going on so. I think hopefully we're at the right time. At the right time. Yeah. Well, this is good. We I, need to I understand yeah. it a lot more now. Yeah. And this yeah. is a great thing because we can listen back and we can sure. understand right. yeah, yeah. Well, You got a rapid letting yeah. go. Right, so why don't we clap our hands for Benji Rogers? <laughs> Grandpa <Hey>. Benji! <laughs> great Grandpa Benji.
Thank you very much. Speed on music this more. Ashley Weltner, thank you for corralling him and forcing him up here against yes. his will. Thanks, Ashley. Really appreciate that. And, and thank he's you. one of the few out of 200 and something podcasts. Mm-hmm. He's one of the few that has more than one podcast. With That's right. Well, so I'm, I'm honored. Yeah. Yes. I'm honored. Do you have some kind of blockchain back record to prove that? <laughs> no, no, not yet. I, I Soon. Soon. We create a blockchain. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but thank you. Thank so you very much. At the end, we don't say hello at the end of every podcast. You know what we say? We say adios. 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 Hey, Dave, what do Paul Sinclair from Atlanta, Tom Hefter from Ticketmaster, Rosie Lopez from Tommy Boy, and Heather Ellis from Pandora all have in common? They're all bigwigs in the music and entertainment industry, Esteban. And? They all hate warm beer. And? They've all been guests on the Music Biz 101 and More radio show at 8 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Bingo. If you want to learn more about the music and entertainment biz, tweet in a question and tune in every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock to Music Music Biz 101 101 and More on Brave New Radio. Radio.